So would you join me in giving a warm welcome, Brandywine welcome to Pastor Heber. Hey, it's, it's great to be with you. <clears throat> like he mentioned, every Saturday, 1030, we do tours. So if you'd like to come out to the Hope Center, we'd love to give you a tour. It takes about an hour and a half to go through the campus and hear the God stories, which are miraculous. And so hopefully you'll be able to uh, enjoy that. Also, we're, we've written a book. We got it off to the editor about the Hope Center. And so hopefully it'll come out this spring and it'll tell some of those stories as well. So uh, when it comes out, maybe we can come back and have a moment where you guys can uh, pick those up. So I get to kind of bring up the rears here on the series Renew, right? And so I get to do the last message. I, I get to close the gate on this. And so I think the reason they had me wait till the last is because I've had a lot of practice trying to renew my mind. And so at 66, I've had a lot of years to work on this. And it's a challenge. We, we know that. When I think about the whole challenge of how there's a war going on in our thinking and, and just being able to stay positive and looking to the brighter side, all those kind of things, it kind of reminded me a little bit of a story of my daughter Rachel when she was 10 years old. I was putting her to bed and I was sharing some verses of scripture with her and I was just kind of going through these verses that says, do this, it pleases God. Do this, it pleases God. Do this, pleases God. And of course I shared the one about when you obey your parents, that pleases God as well, right? So I was sharing all the pleases with her. So uh, when I finished, she said to me, she said, hey daddy, if you will write those down on a little chart or something and put it right here by my bed on the wall, she said, I will try to do those every day. And so I'm not really sure exactly the impact that those verses had on her life, but I do know that we wrote them down, we put them on her wall, and she was able to read those verses every day. Uh, but I do really appreciate the incredible Christian woman that she's become today and what God is doing in and through her life. So what I want to say to you today is the verses of Scripture that we're going <clears> to <throat> look at when it comes to the message today, I would just like to kind of write them on the wall of your heart and help you to understand that if you could actually do these, you would begin to please God, and you would not only please Him, but please others around you. And I think in the end, you would be really pleased yourself with the things that you would be applying. So my title of my message this morning is Do Everything from Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And so also then we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 3 through 6. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to please stand. And on Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, I'm going to ask you if you would join me to read that together. And then I will read 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30, verses 3 through 6. So let's uh, read Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. The Apostle Paul writes, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the universe or in the sky. And then I'm going to read for us 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 30, about David's life. When David and his men came to Zigzag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. 
David was greatly distressed because of the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Lord, we just want to thank you for your word today. And as we kind of write these on the wall of our minds, we just would pray that the Holy Spirit would quicken our hearts to understand them, to see how easily it is for us to begin this uh, territory of uh, renewing our mind and honoring you with all that we do. So Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would be our teacher and just open our hearts and minds to the things that God has in store. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, thank you so much. So let's just jump in. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us there in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, that you and I are to do everything without complaining. Now, for most of us, that's a really difficult challenge. Matter of fact, we're pretty good at complaining. We do it a lot. We do it all the time. We do it every day. We almost do it every hour. We don't even know we're complaining because we complain so much. It's just kind of second nature to us, really. When it comes to complaining, the word means to murmur or grumble. It means to speak under your breath quietly. It's kind of like when you walk into your boss's office and you walk in and he says, I want you to go do this. And as you turn to walk away, you say under your breath, why did he ask me? Why didn't he do it himself? Why didn't he ask someone else? And the boss says, what'd you say? And you say, oh, nothing. Because we are grumbling, we're murmuring, we're complaining. A complaining spirit is more than having a bad day. It's more than being in a bad mood. It's more than waking up on the wrong side of the bed. It's actually living on Complaining Avenue. That's kind of who we are, and that's who you are. You're kind of living on that avenue, at that address. Instead of Philippians 2.14 being your home address, we've just literally, we're living on Complaining Avenue. Some people have said that if you would gather all the people who are complaining in the world, it would be the largest assembly ever recorded on record. And we would have to agree with that because we all complain so much about so many things. Matter of fact, I think I have my doctorate in complaining. I didn't even know that I'd signed up for all those courses, but I got a doctorate in it pretty quickly. And I would say that most of us probably have a doctorate in complaining. It's one of those degrees that you can get pretty easily. Well, we began to complain about so much, almost everything. And so when I thought about that whole concept, complaining, Paul says, do everything without complaining. Not do everything and complain without complaining. And so as I got to thinking about that, there's so many things that kind of get under our skin. There's things that irritate us. There's things that cause our blood pressure to kind of go up just a little bit. So I began to think about some of those things. I thought about, what about slow drivers? When you get behind that person or that tractor or that combine and you're in a hurry, you're thinking, what in the world? Don't they know I have to be somewhere today? Slow drivers, what about fast drivers? What about crazy drivers? I can understand a little bit about road rage sometimes. I mean, people are crazy when they drive. Or what about flat tires, dead batteries, lost keys, car repairs? I mean, we could just keep going with that car thing, right? I mean, traffic and all that stuff. But what about Walmart lines? 
I mean, they're too long. They're too, they're too short. There's not enough lines. They're too slow. Why are they talking about up there? Get it over with. Don't you know I need to be somewhere this week? We talk about the weather. Did you know the weatherman is the only person that can be wrong 80% of the time and still keep his job? We talk about the weather. We say it's too hot. It's too cold. It's too windy. It sure would be nice to have a little breeze. Too much rain. Not enough rain. I mean, as a farmer, I got to get to a happy place, you know, because it is just really hard to be in a happy place if you're a farmer, because either the temperatures are too cold and it's too wet, it's not going to sprout, it's going to rot and die in the ground, or it's too hot, it's too dry, we need to rain. It's never going to bear any fruit here that we've put out there. It's really hard to find that happy place when you're a farmer. Or what about those moments in our life when we go to the restaurant, the food's too hot, it's too cold. The waitress, where is she? She doesn't even act like we're here. Can someone find our waitress, please? We're always concerned about those things. Matter of fact, this last week I was able to go to Ivanhoe's. Any of you guys been to Ivanhoe's up in Upland? If you haven't, you need to, I'm just saying. Great food, but even better ice cream. And so uh, they have like, I don't know, a hundred and some flavors of ice cream. So you can't go wrong there. I'm just saying. And um, so I went there with my great nephew. He's four. His name's Jay. And so we went, we were going to get ice cream. And so we're sitting at the table. And so I got this really big strawberry sundae with whipped cream and nuts. And man, it was really good. I'm just saying. And then he got a chocolate sundae peanut butter, caramel, I'm not really sure. It was a masterpiece, right? And so when he got it, he just started, started eating it really fast. And then he stopped, put his hand on his forehead, and he said, I have a freezed brain. I haven't quite heard it quite like that, a brain freeze, but I've got a freezed brain, he said. So he's waiting, he's holding his forehead, and then he says this, well, if I die, at least I'll die happy. <laughs> what a great attitude, right? I mean, if you're going to die, let's die happy. Eat a little Ivanhoe's ice cream. Let's enjoy it. But we complain about so many different things in our life. We complain about late airplanes and canceled flights and bad seats and people who snore. Mother-in-laws and son-in-laws and married-ins and outlaws. We complain about all those people. The obnoxious weeds in our yard, in our fields. Dandelions, oh my. All the things that we can somehow complain about. Paul says, do everything without complaining. In other words, he doesn't say do most things. Do some of the things. Try to do some of these things without complaining. He says, do everything without complaining. In other words, that leaves no exceptions. Zero. Do everything in your life every day without complaining about it, he said. Well, I looked up that word complaining, and it used the illustration of officiating. 
referees. It says, when players complain about the ref, that was like an arrow in my heart. I mean, I just, we're born in Indiana, right? I mean, our God-given right is to complain about officials at a basketball game. I mean, that's who we are. I mean, not to complain is like un-American or something. That ref, that call, can you believe it? He's so blind, he couldn't see anything. I remember several years ago when they hired the first female ref for the NBA. And she was roughing the Los Angeles Lakers when Shaq was on the team, right? And so they interviewed Shaq after the game and they said, well, how do you think she did for her first game? He never cracked a smile. He just looked right at the camera and he said, all refs are bad. (laughs) I mean, we just kind of feel like we have that right, don't we? It's kind of second nature to us. It's part of our DNA to go ahead and complain. It's so easy for us to complain about different things. Matter of fact, a mom said, the reason Paul says do everything without complaining is because he's never had to deal with dirty diapers, dirty dishes, dirty clothes, dirty floors, and everything else that goes after the word dirty. The Israelites were probably the greatest grumblers the world has ever known. Matter of fact, we're told in Psalm 106, verse 25, that they would stand in the doorway of their tent. They would stand in their tent and they would complain. They would murmur, complain about God, about Moses, his leadership, about the provisions and everything that they needed that they didn't have, all the things that they wanted that they couldn't get. So we're told that they murmured and complained in their home. You've never done that, have you? Ever complained at your house? Usually we don't even wait till we get home to complain. We get in our air-conditioned car, our heated seats, and we start complaining about how we're driving and what's going on before we ever get home. And then when we do get home, we can continue to complain about it. The Israelites were like professional complainers. Matter of fact, Three days after God had delivered them from the nation of Egypt, three days after he parted the Red Sea and they literally walked across on dry land, three days after he literally drowned their enemies in the Red Sea, they started complaining. Even though they were being led by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, even though God was providing for them, they started to complain. The miracles that God did, they were never good enough. The manna from heaven, it wasn't good enough. The quail that he provided, it wasn't good enough. The water out of the rock, it wasn't good enough. Matter of fact, no matter how many miracles God did, they would always complain about it. Did you know a complaining spirit can be deadly? It really can. Matter of fact, about a million of them died in the desert because they complained about what God was doing and what Moses was doing. We're told in verse 7 of Psalm 106, the reason why is because they forgot God's mercies and they did not remember his acts of kindness. It's pretty easy for us, I think, to go through our day, through our week, even through a year and forget God's incredible mercy and his goodness in our life, all the things that God has done, all the acts of kindness. We forget about those things. And when we forget, it's easy then to start complaining about everything. Paul says, do everything without complaining. The second thing he says, do everything without arguing. He takes it to a whole new level. 
Not only are you going to stop complaining, but I want you to stop arguing about things. Arguing takes our complaining or belly aching about the situation, and we take it to a whole new level of intellectual debate. We complain about what happened, then we want to argue with someone about what happened. So we begin to argue. We want to voice our complaint, then we want to argue about it. In Proverbs 20, verse 30, it says this, it's to a man's honor to avoid strife, but a fool, he's quick to argue. He's quick to quarrel about things. I thought, wow, isn't it amazing? That's one of those verses of Scripture that I memorized and hid on the tablet of my heart. You know, it's the, one of those verses of Scripture you need to put on the wall of your mind. It's to your honor to avoid strife. Stop arguing. Only fools argue about everything. Let it go. So we realize the, the author of, of Proverbs says, stop arguing. It's to your honor. We know it's to our honor, but we still do it. We still argue with our wives. I mean, I've been married 45 years. That's kind of hard to believe. And she still likes me. That's good. You know, that's wonderful. And um, my wife and I, we really don't argue hardly at all. Because about 30 years ago or so, I made it one of my goals to love my wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so I wanted to make sure that I was doing anything and everything I could to make her feel honored and cherished and loved and appreciated. And in doing that, then all of a sudden it's easier for her to love me. And so through the years, it's been really an amazing thing that we have just tried to apply God's word to our life. And when you do, guess what? It begins to erase the arguments out of your life. It begins to take out the complaining and all that that's going on within us. And so... Paul says, stop arguing, but, and we know it's to our honor not to argue, but we do it anyway. We still argue with our wives. There was this one couple, they had gotten married, and man, he never put the lid back on the toothpaste, and it just drove his wife crazy. That was before the flip lids, right? When Now you can just snap it back on. And so um, she would complain, they would argue about it. He thought it was no big deal. Why would you be complaining? Why would you argue about something like that? And it just bugged her that he never put the lid back on the toothpaste. So finally, about 10 years, he finally got the message, okay, it's not worth the complaining. It's not worth the arguing. I'm just gonna put the lid back on the toothpaste. So every morning after he brushed his teeth, he put the lid back on the toothpaste and put it down. It went on for a month. His wife never noticed it. At least he didn't think she did. Finally, after 30 days, she said to him, why did you quit brushing your teeth? <laughs> I think sometimes we just forget that it's easy to argue over all those little things that just don't matter. They just don't make any difference. We argue with our children. We argue with our colleagues, our bosses, our coaches, our teachers. We argue with our pastors, our churches. You ever go home and complain? <laughs> and over 45 years of ministry at BRCC and, and God, doing God's work, I made some really good decisions. Matter of fact, one of them was hiring Mark and Kathy to plant Brandywine Community Church. I wish I could take credit for it, but I really can't. It was God. But I've, over those years, I've made some really good decisions. But over those years, I've made some really poor decisions. Decisions that caused me some incredible heartache and sorrow and suffering. Things that I wish I could have undone 
things I could have redo. And the truth of the matter is, I don't care who you are, whether you're a leader, whether you're on a team, whether you're a coach, whether you're on a pastoral team, in the business world, I don't care who you are, where you're at, there is no team who will bat 1,000 when it comes to making decisions. Impossible. At least it's been my experience. In other words, there's times that on the team, we swing for the fence, and when we do, we strike out. But we were going for it. We were going for that home run. We were going to win. And when we fail and we make a bad decision, when we have missteps, it is in that time that we need the body of Christ and those around us, our brothers and sisters, to encourage us to get back up on the horse when you get thrown off making sure that we're doing what we need to do. We need grace and forgiveness and encouragement. We need to be strengthened. We need people behind us who will applaud us and say, go for it, man. You are so brave, so courageous. Even though it didn't work out, I appreciate your heart for doing what you're doing. When I think about leadership, I think about King David in the Old Testament. And what a great life. His life was dynamic. His life was great. Matter of fact, it went from being a humble shepherd boy to the greatest person in all the nation to King David. His life was dynamic. And yet, secretly, I think, I rejoice that it wasn't a perfect life. Because if David's life was a perfect life, you and I would say, I can't relate to King David. I have no idea anything about that guy because my life isn't like that. My life is full of missteps and bad decisions and poor decisions and heartache and things I've gone through. But in the pages of Scripture, the Lord literally wrote down for us all of David's failures. We get to see in the pages of the scripture how David responded to those moments when he was weak, when he sinned, when he did this, and his, when his leadership lacked. For everyone to see for thousands of years, God wrote it down for each one of us to glean those truths and see what he did and how he handled it. We understand that when you sin sometimes, out of your heart comes Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We get to read Psalm 51 and understand what it's like when we sin against our God and we desperately need his forgiveness, his cleansing, and his purification. We look at David's life and we get to see how to handle situations when we've made some bad decisions. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 3 through 6, we hear and read before then that David and his mighty men, and man, were they mighty men. I would say to you that his mighty men were like special ops. These guys were all like Rambo. I'm telling you, they were amazing. If you want to read about their exploits, you can go to 2 Samuel chapter 23, beginning with verse 8, and read about the exploits of these mighty men. 
Even David himself was a great military leader. It was Saul who slayed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. It was David and his leadership, the favor of God, the divine presence, the anointing upon his life that God used him in such miraculous ways to bring really for to bring forth the nation of Israel and to keep them in safety from their enemies. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, though, we see a severe test of David's leadership and his faith. And this is what took place. We're told that David and his mighty men had gone off to fight. But then when they returned to their own village at Ziglag, we're told that when they returned, the whole village had been destroyed. It had been burnt to the ground. The only thing left was the black ash from the fire. And all their wives, their sons, and their daughters, all were taken as plunder of war. It says that when David and his men saw their home village, they sat down and they wept and cried and wailed until there was no strength left in them to cry. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there in your life or not, but I would say this. Chances are, if you've lived very long, there's been moments in your life when you have wept until you could not cry anymore, that you became numb on the inside, and all of a sudden, the, the tears stopped flowing. And when the tears stopped flowing in our passage of Scripture, guess what? Bitterness started flowing. It says that when the men cried till they had strength no more to cry, then all of a sudden they became embittered in their spirit toward David. Now, when they became embittered toward David, it wasn't that they were just complaining about his leadership. It wasn't that they were just arguing over the decision and how horrific of a decision it was to leave their camp unprotected, to leave the, some of the mighty men there to make sure their wives and children were well guarded and protected. They weren't just arguing about that decision or complaining about David's poor leadership. Matter of fact, they were so embittered, they decided that they were going to stone David. Of course, Siri. <laughs> it's her, she said it was her apology. But David, all of a sudden, with this incredible challenge to his leadership, how would he respond? The men were complaining and arguing and ready to stone him. Well, David just decided that he would go out and Blame shift. And he said, hey, guys, any of you could have spoken up. Any of you could have said, hey, we need to make sure we leave some fighting men here. We need to make sure we're guarding the home place. We need to make sure our wives, our children are protected. But none of you spoke up. None of you was willing to stand up and challenge my leadership. He could complain and blame shift and argue with them about that. But guess what? He didn't. Not one word. It just says this in the passage of Scripture. David was so distressed. That's what happens to leaders, you know. 
when the weight of the world is on their shoulders, when they feel like all of life is crumbling in, when they feel like, man, they've made a mess of things and they don't know how in the world they will ever get out of it, the weight of the world is there. He says he was so distressed, not only for his own wives and children, but for the wives of his fighting men and for their kids. He was so distressed, it says, he encouraged himself in the Lord. What an incredible statement in the pages of Scripture. It says that he strengthened himself in the Lord. I wish that the Holy Spirit would have said, man, let's just write this down for everybody to read because this is really important how David strengthened himself, how David encouraged himself. These are the three things that David did. So read these things, do these things. These are formulas for you. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit chose not to give us this formula of encouraging ourselves in the Lord. And I think I know why. The reason is that you and I, we're all on our own journey. We're all on a separate pathway. And each one of us, we have to learn this for ourselves. When life is difficult, when life is hard, when everything is coming loose, you have to learn for yourself to encourage yourself in the Lord. You have to go to him to be strengthened in him. It's not something you can follow this nice, neat formula. It's about you pouring your heart out to God. It's in those moments of distress when you do not know what you're going to do that you begin to call out to God and he begins to encourage you and strengthen you. We're told in our passage of scripture that once David called out to the Lord and encouraged himself, he began to inquire of the Lord whether he should go after those, the raiding party or not. Should we go back? Should I go after them? Should I go and see if I can bring our wives and children back? The Lord said, yes, go. And so the worst day of David's life turned into the best day. He was able to go. They rescued all the wives, all the children, all the daughters, and they brought them back. So the worst day of David's life, it ended up being the best day because they were able to be victorious in that moment. But you and I know something about life. Our worst day doesn't always turn out to be our best day. Our worst day, it's still the worst day. The worst day, it's still the worst day. There were just some of those days that's the worst day of our lives. Children still die. People still get cancer. Problems don't get resolved. Couples still get divorced. The worst days of our life are still the worst days of our life. But it's in those moments where David said, I have to draw closer to God. It's in those moments that you and I have to encourage ourselves and strengthen ourselves in the Lord because without that, we will give up, we will quit, or we will just continue to complain and argue and become bittered in our own life, in our own spirit. When I came to Brookville Road in 1983 to be the founding pastor, the church planter of the church there. I was 28 years old, and I was still wet behind the ears and some of those things, and I definitely didn't have enough experience to plant a church or begin to lead a church. At least I sure didn't think I did, but for whatever reason, God called me to. And so when we first started the church, we started with about 50, and within the first three months, we went from 50 to 120, and I thought, man, this is a piece of cake. This is, this is so fun. This is easy. I, I, this is wonderful to be part of a church plant and see that begin to come together. And then after a few more months, 
it was like all of a sudden there was these little voices of complaint. They didn't like the way I used the altar. They didn't like the way I preached. They wanted me to be more of a teacher. They did all these different things, began to kind of circulate around. And there was this committee of the concerned. And so the committee of the concerned, and they wanted to talk to me about a little bit of everything. They wanted to mold me, shape me, help me to become the person that they wanted me to be. And so they, they started meeting with me. I had this one gentleman who wanted to meet me for breakfast, so I met him for breakfast. He said, hey, I just want you to know something. I have never received anything out of any message that you've ever preached or taught. Wow, thanks. I had this other lady, she said, hey, I want to come to you and talk to you in your office. So you came to my office. She said, I just want you to know I can never, ever, ever invite anyone to this church. She had the gift of encouragement. <laughs> and so we were literally just kind of, all of a sudden, this grumbling, murmuring, complaining spirit was kind of, all of a sudden, kind of intersecting in the body of Christ. And with my great leadership, and my great preaching ability, I was able to take that church from 120 all the way back to 54 in three years. At the end of three years, to say that was the darkest time of my life, it was one of them. Matter of fact, I remember questioning my calling. I remember being on my knees and saying, Lord, I don't know why. I don't know why I thought I could plant a church. I don't know why you, I felt you called me to this. I'm, I'm not sure why I thought I could actually be a pastor. I'm not sure why I was thinking all these things. I mean, I, I quit a thousand times, and that was on a good day. I just remember saying, Lord, there's so many things I could do with my life, but ministry apparently isn't one of them. I just wanted anyone at the church to fire me, but everybody who didn't like me left. Everybody that was left, you know, they'd like me, so they weren't gonna fire me. I was begging someone to fire me, you know? I just remember how difficult of that experience was going through all the complaining and arguing and the friction and all the things that were going on. Finally, there was a gentleman who came to our church and he held a conference for us. His name was Dr. Waylon Moore. And he had a little thought. He said, attach your problem to the promise. Now, what a great thought. First Peter 5, 7, cast your care upon him because he cares for you. I thought, man, I can do that. Cast your problem on the promise. Cast your care on him. So that night I went home, and I was just really walking back and forth in my, in my living room. And I just started praying out loud. I said, Lord, I cast your church upon you because you care for your church. Lord, I, I just cast your church upon you because you care for your church. I was walking back and forth, tears streaming down my face. I'm thinking, I've made such a mess of this thing. I don't know if I'll ever recover. We're gonna have to resurrect this thing. I just kept praying, God, I cast your church upon you because you care for this church. All of a sudden, it was like this weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. I just felt it just kind of lift off me. It's like the Holy Spirit said, we were just waiting for you to give up. It was never your, your responsibility to build the church. Matter of fact, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. All you gotta do is be my instrument. You know, sometimes God just wants us to get to the point where we'll give up. We're, we're walking back and forth and we're saying, God, I just cast my care upon you. I cast my problem, I cast my family, I cast my marriage, I cast my finances, I cast my health. I cast it upon you because you care for me. Remember something, though. Your worst day sometimes is still your worst day. 
I wish I could say to you, in your life, man, it's all gonna turn out like a fairy tale and it's gonna be absolutely wonderful. But sometimes your son, he does die of open heart surgery. There's times in our life that no matter what we do, we still have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. We still must strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And so as we kind of wrap up the message in this series of Renew, I just want to put on the wall of your mind just some verses. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that you can become blameless and pure children of God in this warped and crooked generation, shining like stars in the sky. And then David's thought, so distressed, he encouraged himself, he strengthened himself in the Lord. What a beautiful thought. If we could get to the point where we hang those on the walls of our minds, write them on the canvas of our hearts. Maybe we would hear Rachel say, Daddy, if you'll write those there on the wall, I'm gonna try to do those every day because I just wanna please God. And when you and I get to the point where we just wanna please God, we'll begin to allow him to renew us, cleanse us, and purify our hearts that we can be blameless like him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you again for your word. And we just ask that as we kind of go today and as we share together in this moment, that your Holy Spirit will continue to remind us of these timeless truths, these wonderful um, verses. Just write them there on the wall of our heart, on the wall of our mind, and begin to help us to realize every day we need to come back and revisit and begin to apply and do these things. As Paul said, do everything. And man, just let us do it. Let's uh, rise up and become this incredible vessel that is above reproach and blameless and pure and, and shining like a star in a dark place, in a dark world that desperately needs some of us to be able to be different and let people see and hear how we talk differently, how we love differently, how we live out our life every day. So thank you again for this moment and we ask it all in Jesus' name.